Uh, good morning once again, and uh, w- welcome back to our series. For those listening online, uh, we are in the second week of our uh, telephone series on prayer, and today we're, we're entitled Redial. Uh, it may be a benefit uh, to you as, as we go through the service. There's an outline here called Message Notes inside your service folder, and it's got a little outline of, of the path that we'll be taking today as we talk a little bit more about prayer. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Ben opened up the series with, with a question for you, and he said, rate your prayer life on a scale of 1 to 10. And raise your hand if you just said 5. <laughs> I think that pretty much everyone recognizes we're not perfect, but we're not, you know, void of any prayer. We're somewhere in the middle. And I think that's uh, probably a truth, truthful way to view it. We pray, but not as much as we could, or not as great as we could, and so we'd all like to be better. But my goal and my prayer for you today is that by the end of this message, you'll still say, yeah, I could be doing a better job at prayer, but when you rate your confidence, and when you rate your boldness to pray, we're pushing nines, we're pushing tens, as far as our confidence and boldness to approach God in prayer. As, as I got ready for this message today, there's, for some reason, this one thought came, came back into my mind, and it's... It's something I've experienced in, in my, all my years of being a pastor. <coughs> it's eight years. It's not that long. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's a memory, as I think about it, it brings back both uh, memories of great anxiety and fear, uh, but also uh, memories of, of excitement. And it's this thing we call canvassing. You ever done that? Canvass a neighborhood? Maybe you're, you're knocking on doors, ringing doorbells telling people about church or about VBS or whatever is coming up, uh, how do you feel when you knock on that first door? Half of you are saying, I don't know, because <laughs> I don't have the courage to do it. It's crazy. You know, there's a lot of a- uh, anxiety. It's, it's, you know, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And I've noticed that there are certain kinds of responses when you go door to door. My favorite, the funniest one, is when people pretend they're not home. And take this from a guy who's knocked on a few doors. Your front door is not as soundproof as you think. You know, so I ring the doorbell or I knock on the door. And, you know, I can hear the footsteps, first of all. I know people are inside, but then I hear whispering. Who is it? I think it's some church guy. Don't answer. Quick, keep the dogs back. Put the dogs back. Keep the baby away. And you can hear all this talking inside. And it's like, I'm right here. So, so you, you do the polite thing. It's like, I know you're in there! <laughs> but as you go on through the neighborhood, there's a different kind of door that you might show up at. It's the door where they have something hanging by their front door, like a cross or a passage or maybe even like an Eastern religious symbol. And you know right away before you knock on that door, they are a family of convictions and beliefs. And as you ring the doorbell, you're wondering... How is this conversation going to go? Is this going to be even fruitful? And then there's the third kind of house, the final kind, where you don't even bother knocking on the door because you know nobody's home. You can see there's no drapes in the window. There's a for sale sign. It's empty inside. You know, they've got things posted on the outside talking about evictions or, or what to do in emergencies. You know nobody lives there. And maybe there's even like this ancient relic of something that shows it was from a different time. Like a Vikings flag when you can still be proud to cheer for them or something like that, you know? <laughs> something that just gives it away. Nobody lives there anymore, so you don't even bother knocking. And I, I know that this is going to open up a big wide box of ideas, but I'll, I'll throw it out there anyway. 
going door to door and seeing all the different kinds of houses out there is a lot like the way we pray. You know, sometimes you're praying. Maybe, maybe you did this week what, what Pastor Ben encouraged you to do last week. Maybe you set aside a certain place and a certain time and you opened up your heart to God. There was this issue that was bothering you, and so you prayed about it. You hit it from every single angle. These words were just flowing out of your heart, and it was awesome. And you, you even gave God a specific resolution you were looking for, and you got it out there. And then a day later or a week later, or maybe this is a long time ago, maybe years later, you're wondering, is he just pretending not to be home? Or you got this issue, this thing you're going to pray about, but you're thinking, is this the right thing that I could talk to him about? Is this going to be an issue that he's already got decided? Or maybe you're at a time in your life when you just flat out wonder, is he home? If I knock, will anyone hear it? Do you ever doubt prayer? No, you're all perfect. Do you ever wonder if maybe prayer is worth it? Is my prayer actually going to change God's will? It's not like he doesn't know who I am anyway. It's not like I could tell him something that's new. What's the purpose? As we look at what prayer is, here's the cool thing about it. You know, we have these doubts, we have these questions, but you know what? These are doubts and questions that Jesus specifically talked about. That means there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me when we have these questions or wonder how prayer works or am I actually telling God what to do? You know, these are all things that Jesus had to teach us. It's kind of interesting when, when you look at how Jesus talks about prayer. Quite often it's, it's people asking him. And we get an example of that. This is going to be our message text today. It's from Luke chapter 11. You got uh, 13 verses printed in your service folder. We're going to especially look at the first 10 today. And here's how it starts off. Uh, Luke chapter 11. Luke is telling the story of Jesus' life, and he says this. He says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And you know what? Jesus had certain places to pray. In fact, he had also certain times to pray. Now, sometimes the Bible talks about this. And sometimes the Bible even tells us how long he prays. Uh, there, there were times when Jesus prayed not just for minutes, but for, for hours at a time. Okay, so if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're following him around, okay? You're a disciple of Jesus. He says, all right, disciples, it's time to have prayer time. He goes to a certain place. What do you do? Flappy bird. <laughs> it's a game. Never mind. <laughs> No, if, if, if he's praying, then you say, it's time for me to pray too. So you're his, his disciple, okay? It's, he's, he's in his certain place. I'm in my certain place. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I look up. He's still there. You pray, pray, pray. Okay, you look, this is going on for a long time. Finally, you say, I'm out of things to pray for. But he's still out there. So you wait, you wait. Finally, Jesus comes back. What are you going to ask him? What in the world do you pray for? How does it take you so long? Is there a certain checklist, Jesus, that you have to go through before your prayers are complete? And if so, please tell me what it is. And so the disciples asked him very plainly. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
Jesus doesn't say, oh, you already know how to do it. Jesus does teach them. And when Jesus teaches something, it means we need to learn it. We don't know it automatically. He must teach it. That's our first fill-in for today. Prayer is something that must be learned. There's more than one occasion in the Bible where Jesus specifically gives people instructions on how to pray. And this is one of them right here. So Jesus came back from praying. He was in a certain place. He's coming back to his disciples. They say, teach us to pray. And so he says, okay, I'm going to teach you. What do you do? This is a guy that prays for hours. This is going to be a lesson that lasts for how long? Hours, maybe. So you get out your pieces of paper. You get your your pen. You're you're all ready to write stuff down. And and Jesus starts to teach you how to pray. And this is what he says, verse 2. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The end. What? You spend hours doing this? This is hardly a paragraph. And you're saying that that this is the way that we're supposed to pray. These are the words that we're supposed to use. Actually, there's going to be more. But, but Jesus, at the same time, is teaching us something pretty important here that I don't want to minimize. When you look at these words, uh, maybe we should you know, stop real quickly. First of all, what do you notice about these words? Do we use these words today? You betcha. What's this missing, though? Did anyone catch it? Our Father, who art in heaven. That's not in there. Uh, forgive us our sins. Well, actually, Matthew records the Lord's Prayer also. He says, forgive us our debts. There's different words. There's, there's different phrases. And, and before this troubles you too much, let me just uh, real quickly explain what's going on here. Jesus taught people how to pray more than one time. He uses some words here. Uh, Matthew records a different time that he uh, taught people how to pray. He, he, he used different words Because it's not just the words that count. There's something deeper. Um, But first, uh, like I said, let's let's, uh, sort of get the content here of what he wants prayer to be. Let's look at uh, three things. Let's go ahead and put the next slide up here. When Jesus models prayer, a good prayer includes three things. God, you're great. God, I submit. And God, I need something. That's all the Lord's prayer is. God, you're great. Your reputation, your name is awesome. Let it stay holy. God, I submit. Your will be done, not mine. And God, I need something. Give me some daily bread. Keep me from evil. Keep me from temptation. It's all three things. The end, right? That's, those are the words Jesus taught us to pray. Those are the words he taught us to use. But, but Jesus understood there's more to it than that. Um, have you seen Karate Kid? If you're a product of the 70s or 80s, maybe you did. You know, uh, Daniel, this is the old Karate Kid, not the new one. Did they make a remake or something? Someone was telling me in the first service. Uh, so you got Daniel LaRusso, right? And, and he's the Karate Kid. He goes to his, this karate expert, Mr. Miyagi, and he says, all right, I'm going to learn this awesome karate stuff. And what does Mr. Miyagi tell him to do? It's in your service folder. Wax on, wax off. He tell, Go wax my car for me. What? But in the end, that's, it's as simple as that. You know, two motions, wax on, wax off. That's all you need to know for karate, apparently. That's the equivalent of what Jesus did. 
it's with the Lord's Prayer. He gave us a good model, a good basics, a good structure. But he says there's more to it than just these words. And that's revealed in the, in the next uh, verse here, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them. You see, it wasn't just the formula Jesus gave. It wasn't just a checklist of things to go through. Here you go, print this in your hymnal, see you later. There was more to teach. Because sometimes when we pray for the stuff that we need, we don't see an immediate answer. Sometimes we doubt the way that prayer works or wonder about how it works, and so Jesus explains it for us. He does it like he usually does, by telling a a parable or a story. So he's talking to a group of people, and he says this in verse 5. Suppose one of you has a friend, or in other words, he's saying, pretend that the person next to you has a friend. Hopefully that doesn't have to pretend too much. And he goes to his friend at midnight and he says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have nothing to set before him. Okay, and you would say what? Too bad. We'll we'll get there in a second. You you should have planned better. We'll get there in a second. Uh, First of all, you might think, oh, this is just ridiculous. Who who gets guests at midnight who, who finally come into town? Um, actually, this was a pretty wide co- custom back then. You see, they lived in what we call a desert region. It was hot, and the sun could really uh, sap the, 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 um, the water out of you. And so they didn't have cars. They had to carry their water with them. So the, most, uh, the safest way to travel was to do so at night, when the sun is down, when it's nice and cool, when you can stay hydrated. And so this certain friend gets some guests at midnight. And for whatever reason, he's not ready. Have you ever knocked on someone's door at midnight who wasn't expecting you? Have you ever called someone at midnight? If you got a call at midnight, what would be the first thing on your mind? It's an an emergency. Okay? And there are only select few friends, if it's not an emergency, that you would actually go to at that late of an hour. Okay, so this is setting the stage here. This is not just some easy thing that's being asked. And in, in fact, it gets worse. We uh, read on here. Okay, so the one inside at midnight, the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. In our 21st century minds, we think, creepy. (laughs) Children sleeping with with them in bed. Um, And maybe it's easiest just to realize that their idea of a house was different back then. They didn't have 2,000, 3,000 plus square foot houses back then. They were lucky to have 500. Okay, a house was not some place to live in and to enjoy. It was just a place to sleep at night. And maybe the best uh, comparison I've heard is instead of thinking house, think tent. Have you ever gone camping? Ever slept in a tent? Um, how many people were in the tent? Okay, so you have a five-person tent. You, if you buy a five-person tent, you think, oh, that'll be fine for five people, right? <laughs> have you put five people in a five-person tent? And, and especially, if, okay, it's a family. So you've got a mom and a dad, and you've got kids now. Let's, let's, you know, okay, ten people, ten-person tent. You just hope that <laughs> whatever you had for supper doesn't cause anything to come out during the night. <laughs> 
it's an ordeal. You know, you get everyone ready for bed. You, you got to put the kids on this side. You get uh, kid number one, kid number two, kid number three, kid number four, whatever. You know, you, you, you get them all in their specific places. You twist them this way. You twist them that way. You get everyone as comfortable as you can. But in the end, you got about this much space. And the worst part is when, at, is when 2 a.m. comes and you wake up and you're going, you got to go. <laughs> and there's no way to get out of that tent without stepping on someone. You can't turn on a light because it's going to wake everyone up. <laughs> and there's no way to get out without it being a big affair. Any parents know, once the kids are sleeping, leave them sleeping. Do not wake them up. So when you picture this guy going to his friend at midnight and he says, though, the children are in bed with me, you know, picture this. They didn't have dedicated spaces for beds. They didn't have four posts. They didn't have enough room for that. They had mats. And they laid him out across the floor. In fact, this guy had so little room, he had the kids sleeping on his own mat with him. The, the, the floor is cram-packed with people. And there's no way he's going to light up his oil lamp, go unlock his big door, wake everyone up just to give his friend a few loaves of bread. He can wait till morning for Pete's sake. So he tells him to go off. Maybe that helps you put yourself in this man's situation. He's asking a very big and inconvenient thing to do. So let's see how it goes up. Jesus continues, I tell you, though this man inside will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Um, if you have your Bible, the word boldness has a little footnote. And a lot of different translations translate that word differently. Basically, the Greek word means this kind of shamelessness. You know how usually you understand if you're asking something difficult of someone, you stop at a certain point when they say no? This guy was shameless. That's what that word bold means. He was shamelessly persistent in, in addressing this man and trying to get some bread from him. It was to the point of awkwardness. And that's kind of the whole point of the parable that Jesus teaches us. When we pray, we should pray with shameless persistence. Let's make that our next fill-in. Pray with shameless persistence. You know, there's actually another parable Jesus uses to teach us how to pray like this. Uh, the, the, the other parable is a little different. It's, it involves this poor widow and an injustice is done to her. She needs help from the law. And so, so she goes to the local judge, but there's a problem with the judge. The Bible calls him unrighteous. He's corrupt. If you don't have money to bribe him with, you might as well just go somewhere else. But this widow comes to this judge anyway. She has nothing to offer, but she needs his help. So he says no. And again, she asks him for help. No. She asks him and asks him and asks him and asks him and asks him. Finally, the judge says, Fine. I'll give you what you need. Just get away from me. Leave me alone. Kind of like this guy who was in his small house with the kids. He says, no, 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 I can't get up. I can't get up. I can't get up. The more the guy knocks, finally, fine. Come on, get some bread and leave me alone. That's shameless persistence. Now, here's the thing about Jesus' parables. In all of his parables... Somebody in the parable is me, and somebody in the parable is God. When I look at the story of the man knocking on the door, I'm the guy who's knocking, right? I'm the guy who's asking God for something. I'm the guy who needs. 
And maybe I'm kind of shameless in the way I, I persist in doing it. Uh, in, the, in the parable of, of the widow, I'm, I'm the poor widow, right? I have nothing to offer, but I have everything that I need. That's, that's a picture of me. So if that's who I am, then what are we saying about God? Is he some crabby guy at midnight who doesn't want to get up and give me anything, but if I persist enough, he'll finally say, all right, I'll give you what you want, just leave me alone. Is he like some unjust judge who, he's not going to give me anything unless I can bribe him, but if I persist and if I bug him enough, finally he'll say, fine, I'll see your case, just leave me alone. The scary thing is that's kind of how we view God, naturally. And that's our default setting for what God's relationship is with us. Maybe you've found yourself praying before. And rather than, you know, having this bold prayer like Abraham where he said, you know, how, how dare you, how far, how far be it from you, you know, using these, this strong language, maybe our prayers have been a little bit different. You know, kind of knocking and, hello, hello, are you there? If you can hear me, maybe I need something, but only if it's okay with you. Okay, goodbye, amen. And, and, and we're timid, and, and we don't want to bother God. We don't want to persist because we don't want to make him angry. You know, there's only a certain point where you can ask your friend at midnight for stuff until he finally says, you're not my friend. There's only so much you can push a judge to do before he finally lashes back at you. And I don't want to do that to God. I don't want to bother him. But you know what? When that's our attitude in prayer, then we're not just you know, shortchanging ourselves, but we're actually defying His very nature. We are telling Him that we're not important to Him. We're telling Him that He doesn't have enough patience, He doesn't have enough love to deal with me. We're, de- we're defying Him, we're denying Him of who He is. But you say, but, but you know, Pastor Matt, but didn't Jesus say that, that God is like this, this crabby guy at night? And doesn't Jesus say that, that, that God the Father is you know, kind of like this unjust judge? Isn't, isn't that, aren't, aren't those his words? Actually, no. See, here's the point of this parable that Jesus told. God is teaching us something. Jesus says, even if you have a friend in the worst circumstances, he'll give you something eventually. Even if you have a judge who's horribly corrupt, eventually even he'll give you something. But you know what? God is not your angry, crabby friend at midnight. God is your father. And you were in his heart from before creation. You know what? God is not like some angry judge and some unjust judge who only gives you something if you have something to bribe him with. Your father is the gracious creator of everything. And when he gives something, he does not ask for anything in return. He shows you the opposite of who God is so that knowing who he really is you can have all sorts of boldness and confidence. You know, because finally, if God didn't want to be bothered by you, you know what he had to do? Nothing. He could just leave you dead, leave you blind, not knowing where his door was, not knowing how to reach him, not knowing how to speak with him. But instead, 
He was persistent with you. Persistent in waiting thousands of years until the time was right that his son would not just knock on the door of creation, but would burst through its door. And so persistent that he would not just eventually knock on your heart and say, hey, would you let me in? He burst through the doors of your heart, and by faith he made you his child. That's what he made you because he was persistent. And you know what? Since God was persistent with you, that's the only thing that he wants to see in return. Persistence. Persistence. Seeking him. Asking him. Knocking on his door. Finally, you, you, might, you, know, be hes- you might hesitate when, when you have to go to your friend at midnight for something. And you might say, I'm not going to do it. But you know what Jesus says? He says, when you approach God the Father... This is what you are supposed to say. Jesus says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. I say to you, seek, and you will find. I say to you, knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. You see a lot of doubt in those words? I don't. The one who came to this world to suffer and die and rise again, he is commanding you to ask and to seek and to knock because God is very much there. Ask and seek and knock because the door will be open. Um, Finally, the, the, the way that we, you know, how do we ask and seek and knock, Lord? Well, he says, tell God he's great. God, I submit. God, there's things that I need. And, and then when you're done, you redial. God, you're great. Uh, God, I submit. God, there's things I need. And this is the prayer dance that, that we live with, knowing that we can persistently and boldly come to our Father and give him our, our prayer requests. Um, let, let's see this in work. Or let's see how this works exactly. Uh, when we ask God things, it doesn't bother him. He made that clear when he came to us to connect with us. He does not bother him when we pray, but rather it honors him. And we'll flesh out what this means here at the end, but our last fill-in, God is honored, not bothered by our persistence. Because you know what? When we have a prayer that we leave before him and we persistently ask him for it, what does that tell him? Tells him he's the only one who can give it. We trust only in him. And if he doesn't provide it for us, we know that it's not going to happen. That's what persistence tells God. He's honored by it, not bothered by it. Um, And boy, didn't this congregation see that in the last year? Bethlehem. A little less than a year ago, you, you were boldly and persistently praying that the perfect pastor would come to help Pastor Ben. All right, you're still knocking on that one. <laughs> uh, maybe a quick personal story. And as I tell this, I understand this is going to be a first world problem. Have you heard of these before? Where like I'm complaining over a lack of luxury, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> um, so when I was in third grade, I started to get my family genes kicked into high gear. Bad eyesight. Okay? There, there was a report on the board at school in third grade, and I wrote it down. Tall Marshall. I said, Mom, I need to do a report on a tall marshal. She said, Matthew, let's go to the, the eye doctor, and then you can do your report on the Taj Mahal. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And I remember, eyesight, this, this bad eyesight, I just don't like it. You know, it's, oh, I just wish I could wake up and everything would be better again. And from the time I was in third grade, I realized if anyone was going to make that happen, it would have to be God. Um, so the next week, my mom took me to the eye doctor and got glasses. I said, God, this is awesome. Thank you. This is great. But God, I'd still like to wake up with better vision, perfect vision. Um, I got into high school, 1994, 95, that, that time, time frame, and I got contacts. I said, God, this is awesome. This is great. I don't need these glasses anymore. Thank you. But I said, you know what? It'd still be nice if I could just wake up without having to need anything and just wake up with perfect vision. And as it turns out, four or five years ago, I, my, my eyes just didn't like contacts anymore for some reason. So I had to go back to glasses. I'm like, oh, man, this is just a step backwards. So I said, you know, God, if anyone can do anything about it, you can. And so, you know, all throughout my life, this has just sort of been something that's in my heart, in my, in my mind. And wouldn't you know what, but a, about a year and a half ago, I started waking up in the morning with vision better than 2020. No glasses, no contacts. I'm not going to say it's a miracle because I had that laser LASIK thing done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, I do see that with persistent prayer, God opens doors. And as a matter of fact, I look at the history of this LASIK thing. It was in 1995 that they really started pushing this. And I'm not going to say I'm responsible for it by any means, but God opens doors when we knock. Sometimes it'll be miracles. Sometimes it'll be everyday things that, that he allows to happen. Uh, what about this congregation? My prayers for this congregation are going to be bold and persistent. I want to see our fusion uh, max out uh, 100 plus kids each week. And by the way, I know that we're in the middle of a building campaign. I'm not necessarily praying for more money or praying for a new building, but I am praying for things that need it. <laughs> I want to see more kids in fusion. We're maxed out right now, but God, you can take care of that. Or I'm praying for, for more kids in access, you know, that the community kids would come in to hear about Jesus. Right now, we're pretty maxed out with our building. But God, you can take care of that. I'm praying for more teens to come to our Nexus groups. You know, this would be 100 teens a month that come in to hear about God and to grow together. We're maxed out right now with our building. But God, make it happen. And I know some of you in this room have your persistent prayers. Maybe you're single and you've been praying that God would give you someone to share life with. And I plead to you, do not stop knocking. Some of you are couples who have been praying for a kid. I plead, don't stop asking. Some of you have a friend or a family member who's in a bad spot, either health-wise or spiritually-wise. Do not stop knocking for them. God is not bothered by your persistence. He's honored by it. And the cool thing is, your prayers can actually move him. Your prayers do make a difference. And to close off, I want to show you how. I want to show you why your prayers can make a difference. You know, you, you have this need. You have this prayer. And, and you have the words. You give it up to God. And you know, maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But you know what happens when you send up your prayer? Jesus takes it. And he gives it to God the Father. And he doesn't just, you know, take the rough draft and throw it up there. Here you go. But he washes it. He makes it a prayer that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So that whatever you're asking for, 
will be given. And even when you don't have the words to pray, another cool thing the Bible says, the Holy Spirit gives you the words. He gives God the words with a language you could never understand. The one who stands by the right side of God the Father in heaven, he commands you, ask, seek, knock. And when you're done, redial and do it all again. Honor God with your persistence, and he will answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by the love you have shown us in your Son, we find all reason to give you praise and thanks. You sent him.